Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Now, most books, be it a murder mystery, be it a suspense thriller, an action adventure, a romantic novel, almost all of them uh, have something in common. And that is they end with a climax. The author wants his book to be a page turner. He wants to keep you gripped with the story right to the end. And the Bible in that respect is no different. The climax of the Bible is the book of Revelation. It is the finale. It is the curtain closer to the whole story of God's redemptive plan for mankind. And in it, we see the climax of the ages. We see the climax of the nations, Revelation 19. We see the climax of God's judgment upon a rebellious world with 21 different judgments that will come upon the earth, signified by the breaking of seven seals and the blowing of seven trumpets and the pouring out of seven bowls. We see the climax of Satan, the false prophet and the Antichrist, that unholy trinity. We see the climax of God's personal judgment upon every single unbeliever that has ever lived. We see that at the great white throne of judgment in Revelation chapter 20. We see the climax of the resurrections, the resurrection of the just, the resurrection of the unjust. We see the climax of God's plan for this earth when he sends down the new Jerusalem out of heaven, this wonderful, glorious city, 1,500 square miles. It's massive. It's huge. And when it comes to the earth, then the saved nations will come and pay their homage into it unto the Lord God. But the greatest climax of all is the personal, visible, literal return of the Lord Jesus Christ to be King of kings and Lord of all lords. This has been so long promised, so many times promised, but it's coming and it will come. Right now, in fact, you and I stand on the threshold of the greatest climactic event in history. That is the imminent return of the Lord Jesus. His soon coming, his grand entrance is about to happen. No man can stop it. No devil, no demon in hell can stop it. The die is cast, the course is set, the scene is being ready underway, and the signs are being fulfilled thick and fast. I have been preaching well over 40 years. Things I preached about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 40 years ago has happened. The prophetic signs has already happened. We can see it. It's there. All hell may rage. Puny man may shake his fist at the heavens, but it cannot be stopped. In fact, in Psalm 2, it says God is going to laugh at them. Let me just read Psalm 2 for you. Why do the, heathens, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. 
And then he shall speak to them in his wrath his distress, and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but for a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Glory to God. Do you realize that the second coming of Christ is in two parts? First, he will come for his saints, 1 Thessalonians 4. Secondly, he will come with his saints, Revelation 1. First, he will come in the clouds, in the air, and then he will come with clouds. What does that mean? Well, most take that to mean the saints of God, those who have gone before, and us who have just gone before. So he'll come not just for us, but Eventually, he'll come with us. He'll come for us in the air. He'll come with us to the earth. And so it's in two parts. And so let's just read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4, reading verse 13. Now the Apostle Paul's writing to the church Thessalonica. He had been there for a little while, had moved on, and he had been preaching about the second coming of Christ, about the Lord coming for his saints. But by the time he writes this, some time has passed, and there's a concern because some of the saints have died. And so the ones who are alive are saying, well, Paul preached that the Lord's coming for us in the air to take us with him, but some of them have already died. So what's going to happen to them? So Paul writes this to, to correct that, to tell them what's going to happen. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Glory to God. The teaching on the second coming of Christ is to bring comfort to the saints. It's not to scare the living daylights out of us. It's to encourage us. It's to comfort us that the Lord is coming and he will yeah. come for us. Yeah. Glory to God. Yeah. Now notice here in verse 16, it says that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. There's only three places recorded where the Lord shouted in the New Testament. At the grave of Lazarus is the first one, where he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 
And he shouted clearly that all could hear. And then on the cross, on the cross, he said with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And again he said with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now notice two things here. In Matthew 27, when he shouted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In verse 51 and 53 it says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. The first shout, a man rose from the dead. And the second shout, many of the saints who were in the grave rose from the dead. But in the third shout, in 1 Thessalonians, again, 16 to 18, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Hmm? So this third shout not only shows us a shout for the resurrection of the saints, but for the rapture of the saints. For the rapture of the saints. Caught up here. This is where we get the word rapture from. Caught up here to snatch up, to carry off, to grasp hastily. Now, there's nothing unusual in this in Scripture, by the way. There's people who say, oh no, there's no such thing as a rapture. Well, it simply means to be caught up, to go hastily, to hastily grab, to be caught up. Do you remember Elijah? <laughs> Elijah was caught up. And Elisha stood there and watched it with his own two eyes. And he was caught up in a blaze. And Elisha says, my father, my father, the horsemen of Israel and the chariots thereof. And he watched as he went up into heaven. And then Enoch, Enoch walked with God. And one day he was out walking with God and he just kept on walking and walking and walking right into heaven. He was caught up. And then the Lord Jesus himself on the day of ascension on the Mount of Olives, standing with his disciples when he gave them the last commands, what did he do? He just started to rise up and he watched him and he watched and watched till he disappeared out of their sight. He was caught up. Amen. Now the only difference in this caught up is, is the speed of it. The suddenness of it. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and 52, and we read that in another message a couple of weeks ago, where it says that about being caught up in the twinkling of an eye. And, and the word there is atomos, which means in an atom of time. That's quick, that's fast. Caught up just before you could even blink or gone. Glory to God. These are the things that Paul was teaching the church Thessalonica. These were the things that was on his heart. In, in Matthew 24, in Matthew 24, where it speaks of the second coming of Christ, it's, this is where he literally, physically comes to the earth. Not to the air, but to the earth, where he comes with the saints. And it says here in verse 29, 
We'll read from verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Lightning travels at 100 million feet a second. That's fast. So this is going to happen very, very suddenly. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from end one end of the heaven to the other. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. But seven years ago, I think it was, I was preaching away down in Seskanoor, which is near Oma. It was a Friday night. It was November. I was driving home. The sky was beautifully clear and being interested in the night sky, I saw Jupiter. And then I saw what looked like a star underneath Jupiter and I thought to myself, no, there's no star underneath Jupiter. What's that? And then it moved. And then another one joined it and it moved. And then another one, another one. And I thought, must be helicopters. But then there's no army base here. What helicopters be doing here? And then there's a whole lot of them. And I, and I pulled my car into the side and I jumped out. And as I jumped out, they were going over my head and it was fireballs. Big fireballs. Massive big things. I mean, they were just streaking over the sky and they seemed to be dripping. I mean, they were really fireballs. And they're really meteors. Bigger meteors. And there they're flying over. And if they hit the earth, it's a meteorite, by the way. But they were flying over probably into the North Sea somewhere, the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. They were flying over. And I stood there transfixed. And I was so transfixed, I forgot to take my phone out and take a, a movie of it, which I should have done. <laughs> Stupid. Missed my chance there. There was 18 and 15, 18 there. They're flashing over. And I think this is what it's talking about here. We just read. The stars falling. Well, if a star, a star is a sun. I mean, our, our sun is a star. It holds a million, or you can put a million earths into the sun. So I don't think it's talking about that falling. I think it's these big fireballs that will fall. And there really have been lots of them falling over the years. In fact, increasingly they're falling. And people in their dash cams are, are getting it. They're seeing them and they brighten up the sky. And sometimes if they're big enough and they blow up before they hit the earth, then they cause a lot of collateral damage. And that's going to happen increasingly. Just some of the signs that are going to come before Christ actually comes uh, to earth. I want you to come with me, please, to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background to these two uh, books, uh, Thessalonians. Uh, first of all, you remember how Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy, and how Paul got that vision from a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And how he was deterred by the Holy Spirit to get to that place where all they had to do was go over the sea. And then they were at Philippi. And they got to Philippi and they found Lydia and some of her friends down by the river praying. And so they joined them, this little evangelistic team, they joined them and Paul began to share the gospel and then Lydia and her friends received the gospel, received Christ and were baptized. 
And then a couple of days later, Paul and Silas were out and about town and there's a, a girl with a spirit of divination following them and Paul and them turned around and cast that devil out of her. And it meant that her, her, the ones who were using her for fortune telling were losing their money. They complained to the authorities. Paul and Silas was put into jail and at midnight, God sent an earthquake. When they were praising God, he sent an earthquake and that was the first jailhouse rock. And then when that happened, then the jailer and all his family became believers. Do you remember that story? Now that was the nucleus of the church at Philippi. And in fact, that was the very first church in Europe. That's, that's where it happened. So they stayed there for a little while, but then they moved on about 100 miles away to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the second biggest city in Greece. Uh, and still is to this day the second biggest city in Greece under Athens. It's the Thessalonica it's called today. It used to be called Salonica as well. But now they've got about 300 and, uh, 315,000. When Paul's day, it was about 200,000. So it was a big, big city. And Paul, it seems, was only there probably no more than one month. And then because of persecution, he moved on. But while he was there, people were getting saved. And another church was being born right there Thessalonica. And so the Apostle Paul moved on. They, they went to Berea. Remember where Berea, where the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see that these things be so. And then from there to Corinth and then to Athens. But meantime, he sent Timothy back to uh, these Thessalonians to see how they were doing, how they were faring. And the word came back to Paul that they were concerned. They were concerned about those loved ones who died, what would happen to them. They were concerned because Others, false teachers, were coming in and they were saying that Paul was all kind of a charlatan and all of that, but also that the Lord had already returned. He had already returned. And so what Paul was teaching was wrong. Paul was saying, he hasn't come back yet, but he's coming. They say, no, he actually has come. And so they were confused. So Paul then writes these two letters to them to sort them out, to get their theology right, as it were, to tell them the truth. By the way, isn't it interesting? You know, Paul is a credit with at least 13 books of the New Testament that he wrote. Maybe 14 if he wrote Hebrews. We're not sure who wrote Hebrews. But if he did, then 14. And isn't it interesting that the first books he wrote was Thessalonians? And he writes about last things first. He was so concerned about last things, that's the very first thing he wrote to any church. You know, it was a big, big issue with Paul the Lord's return. And in fact, if you look at all five chapters in 1 Thessalonians, at the end of every chapter, and I've preached on that before, you'll see about the Lord's return. He mentions it at least five times at the end of every chapter. Now, when you go into chapter 2, sorry, when you go into the second book of Thessalonians, he's not so much talking about the Lord's return, but he's talking about the coming of the Antichrist. And the stage is being set for his coming too. And he will come before the Lord comes back to the earth. And so Paul here is teaching these Thessalonian believers uh, about this. And here's what he says in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, 
For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that which is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, uh, and I haven't time to get into this in any depth at all. I mean, for those of you who belong to this church, you'll know that we have taught in Revelation all 24 chapters, verse by verse, 24-part series in the past, dealing with all this subject. So I'm only just going to touch a little bit here. But it would seem to be that the Jewish temple will be rebuilt in Israel. Orthodox Jews already have plans afoot for that very thing. They're already planning it. The only problem is where they're going to put it. Because where they want it is where the Dome of the Rock is, Mount Moriah, where Abraham was going to kill his son, Isaac, where the Islamic belief is that it was Abraham and Ishmael. All right? So that's going to cause a major, major political storm <laughs> if that ever comes to pass. But that's in their mind to do. Now, we know through reading Daniel that the Antichrist will set up a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. But in the midst of that seven years, three and a half years, he will break that peace treaty and he will turn against Israel and he'll set his image up in that temple. And that'll be called the abomination of desolation, an abomination to Almighty God. And so Paul is writing about that. That's one of the first things he writes about. So he's concerned about this. But notice here as we go on. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining. I'll say it again. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but a pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is the restrainer that Paul's talking about? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it the Holy Spirit working through the church? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit will still stay upon the earth during the tribulation period because there's going to be people who get saved during that and they'll be martyrs for Christ. They'll not be saved unless the Holy Spirit opens their heart to the truth. Right? We need the Holy Spirit to be born again. But it seems to be that the Holy Spirit working through the church is the restrainer and the church will be raptured. And then there'll be no restraint. The Holy, Spirit will still be in, the Holy Spirit will still be in the earth, but he'll not be restraining. And that will allow the devil to have the entrance of the Antichrist come in without any restraint, without any letter hindrance. And then he, for a time, he will rule. Are you still with me? I know you've got to put your thinking cap on this morning, so do that. And so 
we are in a situation today where people want all restraints cast off. In fact, it says that there in, in chapter 2 of, of Psalms that we just read. Let us break their bonds. Let us cast a, away their cords. Let, all, let their restraints go. We don't want their restraints. You know, we don't want this Judeo-Christian teaching. We don't want their ethics. We don't want their morality. We don't want their preaching at us. We don't want them to tell us how to live and what to do and what the Bible says and what God demands. We don't want that. We want no restraints. Aren't we seeing that today? We're living in a world that's casting off all restraint. And that's why the Spirit of God is moving. That's why the church is here. And they're still doing that. What's it going to be like when the church is gone? So many good things has happened on this earth because of the church. We have hospitals today because of the church. We have the end of slavery in, in the British Empire because of the church, because of believers like Wilberforce. So much good has been done by the church. Great philanthropic societies that was raised up by the church. So when the church is gone and the Holy Spirit is not restraining, what is the world going to be like? It's going to be wicked, more wicked, more evil than ever before. In the 60s, we had the sexual revolution. When it was free love was the mantra and all restraints were gone. And they said it was wonderful. We can do whatever we like, when we like, how we like. Nobody to judge us. It's wonderful. It's peace and love everywhere. Well, it was a disaster. It was just the start of the sexual revolution. Never would believe then what we're seeing today where governments are, are giving laws not to restrict these things, but to cause them to be legalized, to have more of it. It's unbelievable. But that's the casting off of the restraints, so it is. And then, of course, we have gay rights, we have transgenderism, we have same-sex marriage. We have all of these things that are just all falling in line because we're casting off all restraint. You can't judge, you can't say, you can't have an opinion. If you do, you're cancelled out, you're put down, you're maybe even arrested because of it. You will not be tolerated. That's the world that we're living in right now. And that's with the restrainer. That's with the church. But you see how they're coming against everything that's godly, everything that's biblical, everything that's Christian. They're coming against it because that's restraining and they don't want restraints. We see drugs being declassified and decriminalized. Just this past week, Los Angeles and Oregon in America have passed laws in their states to legalize heroin and cocaine and all the major drugs to legalize it so that nobody can be arrested. I mean, it's insanity, isn't it? You think of the damage and the hurt that's caused by drug taking and they're going to legalize it. I mean, it's just opening the door for all kinds of murder and mayhem. But you see, no restraints. No restraints. Alcohol sales through the roof. In fact, one of the biggest offenders of the alcohol is in, is in the Houses of Parliament. There's more alcohol taken in the Houses of Parliament almost anywhere in Britain. And these are our leaders running our lives. Gambling. It used to be gambling was a hard thing to do. It was frowned upon. It was put down. There was laws against it. But now it's open everywhere. You go into any shop. You go into any supermarket. Going to almost going to a sweet shop and there's a machine there where you can gamble on. You take your smartphone out and you can do it in your smartphone. 
And it's destroying so many lives. So many. And then there's abortion. The worst of all. 1967, the Abortion Act was passed in Great Britain for England, Scotland, and Wales. And it was David Steyer, Church of Scotland minister's son, who was a Liberal MP, it was him who pushed it and pushed it and pushed it to get it legalised, and it was. And even he, before he died in recent times, said, I never thought it would come to the, to the place where it would be used as contraception. Well, he should have thought about it. In fact, I stand before a holy God and have to give an account for it. Because since 1967, 53 years, nine and a half million babies have been murdered in their own mother's wombs with the blessing of the government. Can you imagine that? What kind of a world do we live in? With the blessing of the government. Two years ago in Dublin, they were dancing in the streets and clapping and cheering because Article 8 had been overturned in their constitution that allowed abortion for almost any reason. And they were dancing in the streets. For what? So they could have the right, the legal right, to murder their own babies in their own wombs. I mean, it's insane. It's evil. It's wicked. But that's the world that we're living in today. No restraints. No restraints. You know, right now, it looks as if the administration in America may be going to change. And the current administration was the most pro-life administration there's been in the history of America. And it looks to be changing to the most pro-abortion regime in the history of America. Because the vice president wants abortion right up to, the, the, the one that, the impending one, wants the abortion right up to birth, right up to the babies about to be born. Wants it legal. And there's other states want it legal too. And other parts of the world. And abortion was foisted upon us in Northern Ireland. We didn't ask for it. We didn't want it. But the Westminster government foisted upon us for almost any reason. Here we are today. 40, 50, 60 million babies every year are aborted around the world. And that is with the restrainer still here. What's it going to be when all restraint's gone? And the Antichrist comes. Hmm? Come with me to Revelation chapter 6, please. But sadly, this is the type of preaching that a lot of people doesn't want to hear. In fact, there may be preaching, people watching me today will switch off because they don't want to hear this. It's too negative. It's too negative. I want something positive. I want to be uplifted. Hey, this is Bible. This is the truth. This is what Paul taught. In chapter 6 of Revelation, in verse 12, this is the sixth seal. And I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. We mentioned that a moment ago. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place and the kings of the earth, the great men 
and the rich men and the commanders and the mighty men and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Ah. Did you notice something a little unusual? It says, Fall on us and hide from us the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb? <laughs> That's Christ, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. John says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb. Against the Antichrist and all of his forces, it'll just take the Lamb just to speak a word. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. And who will be able to stand against his wrath? In Revelation 20, and then we'll be closed. Verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he took hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit. Can you imagine falling for a thousand years in a bottomless pit and never hit the bottom? Do you ever have a dream where you're falling over a cliff and you wake up and your bed's ringing with sweat? <laughs> Can you imagine falling for a thousand years and never hitting the bottom, the bottomless pit, and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished? But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, who had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who is part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Glory to God. Friends, Christ is coming back. Yes. There's nothing more certain than that fact. And we've got to be ready We've got to be ready. There's signs yet to be before he returns to the earth. But before he returns to the air, I can't find any signs. That's right. I think they're fulfilled. Yeah. Right. It could happen at any moment. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be ready. Amen. On to them that look for him, Paul said, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Are we looking for him? Because yeah. he's coming. Yeah. So we've got to keep short accounts. And we've got to not get tied up with stuff and things. You know, recently, you know, I buried my, my dear sister and, and, and looking about her things, her stuff, it makes me think all of my things, all of my stuff, when I go, it's left. Somebody else will be sorting through it. Can't take one thing with me, nothing. And neither can you. So let's not get attached to it. Enjoy it, be blessed by it, but don't get attached to it because we're going to go and it's going to be left. Glory to God. My wife one time wrote to her sister, who was a backslider at that time. And she says, by the way, when the rapture comes, you can have everything that's left. 
That was a wee bit hard, wasn't it? I don't know whether that made her think or not or got her angry or what. I know one thing, she came back to the Lord anyway. Right here, right here one day she came back to the Lord. After I don't know how many years, she still got on with Christ. But you've got to think, you've got to realize the day is coming fast when the Lord's return is going to be soon. Glory to God. Ah, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your near return. You promised it. You said that you would go and prepare a place for us and that you would come back again and receive us unto yourself that where you are, we may be also. So even so, come Lord Jesus. Lord, we say that the church says, Maranatha, the Lord comes. And so we give you thanks for this. But just help us to be prepared, to be ready, to have short accounts, to live with no regrets that we serve Christ, that we love him and serve him the rest of our lives until you come or call. So we give you thanks for this. Lord, for those who are watching today, I don't know the position of their soul before you, but you know. And I pray, Lord, that they would listen to this and take heed of it and come to you and be saved and born again of your Holy Spirit so that they too are ready for that great day. So we give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name. And all those people say it.